Hey guys, what's up? Week 167. I got a bunch of reviews for you, so let's just hop in. And a huge update. I got a, a big, big update. So uh, yeah, let's hop right into this. The first one I am going to cover is from Severn Films, and this is Revenge of the Living Dead Girls. Now this was released on a DVD years back. I think it was a retro media <laughs> entertainment. And I did watch this one because I love zombies, and it was French, and it sounded weird, and me and some of my friends watched it, and it was a wild ride. Uh, now watching the Blu-ray uh, was a little bit of a different experience. It, this is a different cut, from my understanding, at least a different ending because this movie has a couple endings. So the original DVD had a different ending with the alternate ending on it. This one only has the one ending, which is probably the better preferred ending. So Revenge of the Living Dead Girls is a super crazy um, 1986 French sleazy movie. I, like... This one I could I, I could see people considering this like a Sherlock uh, Meister or like somebody who's just strictly into exploitation films. And when I watch this movie, I, I don't feel that way. I feel like the director is tackling the subject matter semi-seriously. Um, so the plot is we have this kind of guy in France. He works for a German company. It's like this big German company, and they work on... Um, uh, they're doing like... A, I think it's like a chemical. They dispose of uh, nasty chemicals and everything like that from their factory. And um, basically what happens is there's some, I guess you'll say, like environmental terrorists that uh, poison a milk a milk truck nearby so that people get sick so they can bl blame it on the company. Of course, this um, stuff just, just doesn't make them sick. It kills three young girls. One right before her wedding day um, that drink the milk. So basically it puts the heat on this company and um, there's some backstabbing and espionage going on where some of the people are double-crossing other people to get ahead in the company. They send somebody over from Germany to kind of keep an eye on it. One of the professors or the scientist that works for this company is also boning the main um, guy who runs the company in France, his wife. And um, then all of a sudden these creatures, these zombies, start coming out of the crypt at night and killing people that are responsible for this uh, horrible chemical and all this kind of stuff. And everybody's really shady and gross and cheating on each other and just not on the up and up. The zombies look really cool. They have these, they're, they're kind of masks or obviously like just a couple big um, things they put on their face, prosthetics, but I really like their look. It's very EC Comics and uh, I think they're wearing like white dresses and everything. I think the one's buried in her wedding dress if I'm not mistaken. So you have these like decrepit like face zombies. Did I mention they get nude a lot and they have like perfect bodies? This movie is super sleazy and nude and nudity filled, like lots of naked women and lots of, you know, uh, people just having sex randomly. And um, th like I said, it's very funny. I only mentioned that the zombies have perfect bodies. It's because they have these decrepit faces. They're all rotten. And then their and their bodies are perfectly normal. So it's just such a bizarre sight to, to see. Um, and there's lots of great iconic shots of this movie. Like I said, them coming out of the crypt with the fog and just really weird stuff. Like beautiful. I believe there's like a beautiful church in here where the, cre the one playing like the piano. I just, there's lots of memorable stuff in here that I really dug. And it's super sleazy and weird and a lot of backstabbing going on. Severn cleaned this one up. It looks really good. This is a very weird, um, sleazy uh, movie. The director also did one called Tracking, which I, I've always wanted to see, and I have like bootlegs and everything. It's never had a proper release in the States, which I'm very interested in checking that one out too. So maybe I'll do that next week or something because this one, revisiting this one was really fun. But uh, the ending is, is batshit and <laughs> funny as well. It's, it's, it's like insane. And you're just like, there's just no way. This is complete horseshit. But... Um, 
I, I love everything that's going on here. There's so many like things that you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But you have to, you know, you're watching a movie called Revenge of the Living Dead Girls from 1986. Um, so yeah, you got to forgive it. I watched the um, French version. I didn't watch the uh, English dub version, which makes it even cheesier. But on the disc, there's an interview with the director, and then there's two interviews um, with different special effects artists on the movie. So yeah, Revenge of the Living Dead Girls. Recommend checking this one out. It's really fun. Okay, the next one is from Arrow Video, and this is Inferno of Torture. And this is by the same director who did stuff like Orgies of Edo and, um, geez, uh, Horrors of Malformed Men. So he's, he's kind of like this big kind of 60s, really extreme director. And nowadays it's kind of funny to think that these movies, but when I was young, like I'd always look for these movies, like Shogun's Torture and Joys of Torture and those kind of movies, like Ox, Split Oxen and stuff. And they're always so hard to find, Orgies of Edo. And then finally the Arrow's putting these out in the States and like, they are graphic, especially for the time, especially for the time, but they're very tame and consider when you compare it to the extreme films of nowadays and, and even the nineties and stuff like that. But, um, this one still packs a punch. His movies all tend to be, I can't think of this directors, Ichi or it's, it, it, it's be, I, I'm terrible with pronunciation of Asian names. In fact, Italian names, any names to be honest. But, um, this director, like I said, he is very prolific and, uh, his movies tend to have like an anthology kind of thing to him. And this one's, this one's a little bit, uh, the, the same, but it, it they 
it flows together. All the characters are interrelated, but it's an anthology. And like the credits of all these movies, it opens up with like these extreme moments of torture, like people buried in the sand and their heads lopped off and stuff. Kind of reminds me of the scene in Caligula with John Steiner. Um, sorry, spoiler on Caligula. But uh, yeah, so what happens is we have this poor girl who can't pay her debts and uh, she, she doesn't have any money and they basically tell her if you don't pay your money you're gonna you're gonna be killed so she has to go work in this brothel and she's she's very virginal and she's thrown in with all these like tattooed women because at the time um, you know women that were tattooed were either like a tattoos in that time were like associated with gangs at least in you know and associated with more so like um, prostitutes they tattoo you and so there's this really big ordeal where these like two competing tattoo artists who are tattooing all these women and they're like the best in the Japan at the time so or, or the are um, the, the area so they're like constantly competing and tattooing and everything like that so this um, young, young woman who is uh, basically virginal and everything like that uh, she she kind of fights back advances of a rapist and and uh, all this kind of things and it ends up being the point where they to punish her because there's movies full of torture. They torture a lot of the prostitutes really graphic ways, hang them upside down and whip them and all that kind of thing. Um, to punish her, they put um, this like belt around her, um, <laughs> around her, you know, private parts so she can no longer have sex. And uh, there, there's other things going on without spoiling too much. But the way that um, her kind of story wraps up, it's really tragic and really sad. But um, that, then we kind of follow the story of these um, other, the tattoo artists who are kind of always at each other's in competition and um, everything like that. A big focus is on the tattoo designs and the tattoos in general. And a lot of the um, women that work in the brothel, the prostitutes and the people that run it. And the people that run it are really evil and really horrible. And they make really good villains and um i i was a little worried that this woman leave you a little feeling a little empty but um people get their comeuppets and it ends really tragically for almost everyone everyone involved really so i, I like that aspect too but these tattoo artists have like this competing nature and i really like it and there's like a setup and a frame and and it, i like how it, it's directly co tied in with the first story so all these characters are interrelated and it focuses on all of them but it has like good payoffs good setups and the very ending of the main baddie i was just like thank you thank you i really wanted to see that i know it's a little sadistic to think that but i just you know these people that force people into prostitution are just the bottom of the, the barrel scumminess and it's just horrible to think that this kind of place you know existed for these poor people and everything like that but really well acted too I love the main guy in here the tattoo artist and I like you know the tattoos are cool as well and the whole process and how important it is it's just something that I really didn't get to see much um, you know about any of this kind of stuff I'm going to cheat a little bit and read off the features for you um, audio commentary by um, of course Tom Mass who does all the stuff he did all the solid metal nightmare stuff erotic grotesque nonsense and the foundation of Japan's cult counter uh, cult counterculture a condensed version of the J jasper sharps miskatonic institute lecture then we have a trailer and and that's pretty much it but um I, I really like seeing this one i hope they go through all of them i know there's still some other ones that need to be released of his um i think there was i want to say like six or seven of these like um i guess so-called like torture movies that he made and they've released a couple of them, but hopefully we um, get to see more of his films because they are interesting and they're very, very um, boundary pushing for the time. You know, in Japan, they would never show pubes, but there's tons of nudity. And there's also this really weird comedic element to this story about like two of the prostitutes are actually played by males. And I never quite understood if they were males that were pushed in the prostitution um, or they were males trying to hide in as females in prostitution or they were just two males um, playing as prostitutes. So 
I don't know. Uh, it's kind of kind of crazy, but um, really weird kind of humor in that aspect too. But yeah, Inferno of Torture, uh, good title too. Um, probably uh, probably get you flagged for YouTube that title right there. うん。相変わらずの世話だな。すいません。お伺いしようと思いながらつい。借り立てにの都合がつかず、いくらずうずしくっても手ぶらってわけにもいかず、もし人様の銭を五両盗めや遠と。重要となれは首が飛ぶって大金だぜ嘘や脅しで言ってるんじゃねえこちらの与力の旦那にお聞きしてみな借金の方に鮫島という与力の世話で屋敷奉公をさせてもらうことになった不思議な屋敷だったどこまでも続く曲がりくねった長い廊下けばけばしい彩りの奇妙な間取りの数々の小部屋怪しげな男と女なんだろうこの屋敷は Okay, this next one is from Altered Innocence, and this one's pretty interesting. This is Starfish that technically was like a, I guess it came out last year and was on a lot of people's top uh, 10 of the year. I didn't get a chance to see it and because uh, I, I, for some reason I kept thinking it was uh, Starfish. It's Starfish. Did I call it Star Kiss again? I always do that. I kept calling it Star Kiss. It's Starfish. I kept mixing that up with Inhuman Kiss, which also came out last year on uh, Netflix. I didn't watch either of them because I was confused, but this is Starfish. This is a pretty interesting movie and um, the sound. it's one of these movies where it comes with the soundtrack and that's definitely, um, the soundtrack is very important into the way this movie is made it's directly correlated to the plot and how it unfolds and and emotional you know context and all that kind of stuff so we have this uh girl's the main character and her best friend died she's she's in town visiting the funeral she's at the funeral and everything and she just kind of wants to uh leave and and just it's real it's really hard for her it's really difficult so she's also struggling with her own issues with um you know a relationship that kind of went sour so she ends up breaking into her best friend's old apartment and uh they have these two jellyfish that they feed starfish or they they used to she did and there's a tortoise there that she she kind of hangs around with and uh fairly soon um she kind of wakes up one day and there's nobody really around it's completely isolated it's the whole town is frozen over and she doesn't know what the hell's going on um she soon realizes she's not alone when these this monster starts to kind of chase her it looks fairly creepy although and at sometimes it's mostly cgi sometimes it'll look okay sometimes it'll look blah and then there's more kind of um kind of effects involving monsters and stuff and some of those look really good especially um the bigger things i don't want to give too much away but um pretty soon um she gets a call on the walkie-talkie and um 
um, there's basically a signal or a frequency that she needs to play to keep the monster away. And um, she starts to read like around, there's notes from her friend, and she starts to piece it together that there was nine pieces or seven pieces, I can't remember, of this frequency. And she has six of them. And she needs to find the seventh and put it together and possibly stop this invasion. <laughs> Sorry about that. You never quite understand exactly what the creatures are or where they come from or what their intent is, but I think leaving it up in the air kind of makes it a little bit more, you know, I guess scary for people or they can think of their own ideas. And, I, the, the, you know, this whole coming over this and fighting this directly correlates with getting over her own problems. And you think maybe this is all in her head. Maybe she brought this on. There's lots of things that you possibly could be interpreted in a certain way. But um, I think that the lead character is really good. I think she's really solid and she's pretty much the driving force of the whole movie. She's definitely the strongest performance in the movie and one of the only performances in the movie. So thankfully she's very good. I think this is a solid movie. I did like the soundtrack. I liked how they incorporated it in. It was kind of surprising to hear the band Y on there, which is a band that I always kind of dug. I haven't heard them in a really long time, but hearing that, um, these few presidents, uh, I think that's a song. It's a really good way to play for the death of someone. So um, this has a bunch of features on it. It has um, like two audio commentaries, a making of, deleted scenes, a music video, all sorts of stuff so it's loaded um pretty interesting movie and i think this is the first direct uh, directorial debut feature length at least but uh yeah definitely worth checking out altered innocence has been putting out some pretty good stuff they put out my favorite movie of 2019 technically it was 2018 but it came out in the states in 2018 knife plus heart which i would highly recommend excellent movie just perfect to be honest and they also put out what is some of the other one luz which is a really interesting film as well so yeah and they have a couple other ones coming out too so yeah altered innocence good stuff Link will be below. My name is Aubrey Parker, and I think I might be the last person left. Hello? Anybody? Please. You know what used to be my dream? everyone to just disappear. Who are you talking to? Aubrey, stick up. Oh my god. You have to be careful. Oh my god, can you hear me? You played the signal. It opens doorways. one chance. Try it your way. Maybe I'm dead. Wake up! Everything that's happening isn't real. Do you want it to be real? I don't know the saddest thing about everybody being gone. Stories. People are gonna die anyways, but their stories don't have to.
Okay, the next one here is from IFC Midnight, and this is The Other Lamb. And I had heard some things about this one. Um, this, I guess, counts as a 2020 movie. And um, people were saying, like, this is a slow burn, but it's, if people that are going to like it are really going to dig it. So I would put this in the category of something like Hagazusa or, you know, maybe a little bit bigger budget than Hagazusa or maybe like, a, I don't want to say hereditary because that puts it at such a high standard for a lot of people, but it's not as big or as well made as that, but it has that art kind of horror slow burn. And uh, saying that, the composition in this movie and how it how it looks all together and how it's shot and the locations and all that kind of stuff and the framing and like I said, composition is beautiful. It's probably one of the best looking movies I saw all, all year so far. And I haven't been keeping up on a lot of the newer horror films like I should have been. Um, but I was actually really impressed how this one looked. Um, it's very well acted, but um, it's about a cult uh, group of... And the lead guy who runs the cult is actually in The Invitation. If you've seen that movie, you know that movie involves a cult too, which is kind of funny that this guy in cults. But he, he feels like he's more like this wannabe Jesus Messiah kind of guy. And he is the only guy in the, um, the, the cult. And he leads all the women. And there's there's varying ages of women. Some there's a couple really young ones, and then there's some that are coming of womanhood, and then there's some older ones, mother mother age. And uh, he's basically the only one, um, you know, manipulating them, and they all worship him in this really kind of grotesque way. And he he teaches them, and they can't do certain things. It's it's you know it's a cult. It's a manipulative cult, and that kind of stuff always drives me crazy because it happens every it happens all the time that people believe this, and I've never been the type to buy into that stuff. So I'm seeing it like, oh, okay, is this possible? This seems so realistic but it is realistic at the same time so basically what happens is um something kind of happens that disrupts this cult and they they're kind of like they kind of herd animals and things like that maybe farmers kind of live out into the wilderness beautiful wilderness so they have to kind of travel across and all these things start to happen and one of this the girls is coming of age you know a lot of them are coming of age and she starts to kind of feel a little bit different about things and maybe like this cult isn't cracked up to what it used to be and her, her you know she her sexual nature is kind of blossoming but and she starts to feel a little bit different you can kind of tell you know questioning things and, and whatnot so um as they, as they travel kind of these his, his more darker side comes out um being cruel to people and and um they have some casualties and everything like that but what i really like about the movie is at one point there's a group of sheep and there's um and he says there's and somebody says well there's only one ram in a, in a flock or something like that and it's just so it's a direct correlation to theirs and and that she's always watching this ram this one male of the sheep and she just seems to have like a weird feeling towards it but the ending is, is a wonderful payoff <laughs> what happens so um this is one that um it wasn't the easiest i'm not saying it's a bad it's a very good film let's put it that way and i need to revisit it because it's not like the easiest film to just put on and say hey let's watch it you got to dedicate your time to it and it has a good payoff and this is one that i think back on and i'm like you know this deserves more of my attention like i paid attention to it but it's like it deserves a second look because i think this has um very high potential to make my top 10 i, I think it's well directed well shot well acted and it's got good symbolism so that is the other lamb um from ifc midnight actually a really really good film there once was a woman made of moonlight and teeth she would roam in the woods Searching for something. Hunting. And he just kept telling me, you are perfect. You are accepted. Oh, my shepherd. I need a deeper experience with you than I ever had before. So beautiful. Just like your mother's. 
Come, Come down, down upon me and fill me with yourself. Let us pray. My wives, you all came to me broken by a cruel world. I took every one of you in. I sacrificed my life for you. I gave you daughters and sisterhood and life. Let us reflect on our blessings. Yes, yes. my shepherd. You think that because you haven't had your time yet, that makes you special. Prepare yourself, child. Our great shepherd won't be so sweet on you then. I'll be seeing you when the blood comes to you. <laughs> As I went down in the valley to pray, studying about that good old way, and who shall wear the starry crown? Good Lord, show me the way. Shala, what happened? Oh, sisters, let's go down. It's worse than punishment. Let's go down. Oh, sisters, let's go down. I am relying on you, Sela. Of all my children, you're the purest in your faith. Okay, this next one is from Epic Pictures, and this is Torpedo U-235, and um, I believe this is a Belgian film, and, but you can watch it in English dub or its original language. Um, there's a couple languages in here, like Belgian um, and German, of course, because this is a WW2 movie where we're fighting the Nazis. Well, the Belgians are, and uh, what better villains than Nazis? They're scum. So, uh, okay. We have this group of kind of ragtag soldiers from Belgium. And if I'm not mistaken, was it Belgium was the country that um, all like 250 of the military got on horses and charged the Nazi tanks and, and got blown the smithereens? I might be mistaken, but um, that's a crazy way to go out. Uh, but so anyways, these... Um, these, these soldiers are like a ragtag group of team. It reminds me a lot of like a Tarantino kind of style movie or even more so like a um, throwback, like Man on a Mission kind of movie, like uh, maybe the Dirty Dozen or the original Inglorious Bastards or, you know, that kind of deal where it's like a group of soldiers on a mission and it's going to be a pretty, um, you know, casualty-filled mission. So there, there's like a ragtag group of people and they're pretty brutal. They remind me of the Inglorious Bastard boys from the Tarantino one, not the original. So uh, basically they get picked for this mission <laughs> sorry about that um to basically this is insane transport uranium to the united states so the united states can build the bomb to drop on japan before the germans get to it so they have to with no training it's kind of like an armageddon thing you take the miners and, and everything like that and um basically you send them uh, in a sub to basically go across transport the uranium because they're the only guys that can pull it off because they're crazy and i don't know why it's a little far-fetched but okay we're gonna buy it because we're into it already okay so essentially like um they hire a german who has been a prisoner um to train them because they have like his son uh, somewhere to save his son or something like that along those lines so um this you always get the kind of a person impression that this this German uh, commander doesn't really like serving the Nazis. Um, you know, he basically mentions at one point, which is a very poignant part, where one of the characters was a, 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 fo a football player, as in soccer. And they said, the one guy says he could have chosen anywhere. He could have went anywhere. And he says, well, you know, 
soldiers don't get to choose who they fight for. And he says something along those lines. And that, that right there is like a heart to heart between the two main characters. The other main character has this dark past involving, you know, Nazis torturing his family and everything like that. And he's overprotective. His daughter who's with them and, and all that kind of thing. So basically the action when it's there, like the shootouts that are before the sub and even a shootout on the sub are really good. They're really graphic. Um, it, it's actually pretty mean spirited and graphic when people are killed as you know, it should be kind of like there's point blank people getting shot in the head. And I didn't really notice any CGI. And as far as CGI is concerned, I think there's a mixture of miniatures and CGI in the water scene sometimes. And I, I thought it looked pretty good. It never lost my interest. I never thought that looked hokey. I do think that um, tonally it's a little weird. Um, like they kind of mix humor and adventure and really graphic kind of dark horror stuff. And um, although the old movies of the 60s and 70s kind of had that vibe where you could be laughing one minute and have something dark happen, I feel like the Dirty Dozen was a little bit better at the first half was more of a comedic um, bonding um, thing, drama, and the second half was more like a war drama thing. So I feel like I understand that they're trying to make you laugh and enjoy these characters, but I feel like for some reason the older movies just handled that mood change much better. But saying that, uh, I do think this one is, is fairly solid. I um, got connected to some of the characters. I wanted to know where the story was going to go. Um, it, it's big. It, it's um, it's got a lot, it's very ambitious. So I would recommend checking this one out much better than you would think you know because independent foreign war movie you never know what you're going to get um i like this one i think it's pretty good stuff that is a torpedo u-235 um good stuff um there's some features on here i can't remember all the features um, I'm cheating a lot lately. I know there was a making of and an English dub, so there's not that many features. The making of was like 22 minutes or something like that. But uh, yeah, I think this one's uh, pretty decent. Check it out. Gentlemen, desperate times, desperate measures. The head of the Belgium government selected you. The mission's objective. Transporting a cargo of raw materials of crucial importance to the Allies. Where are you going to find a crew that's up to this? We selected a group of loyal, well-trained soldiers. Man, welcome to Africa. What's this? A German captain. He's going to train us. This is a highly complex machine. You men had better brace yourself. You've got three weeks to learn it. We've got to pilot this ourselves? <laughs> For those of you who aren't very good in geography, we are right here, and our destination, America. Take us down.
okay. The next one is a Patreon pick from Jeremy over at 22 Shots, and he picked uh, Robert Zemeckis' used cars. Okay, this is 1980. I had never seen used cars. Um, and, my, my, you know, my favorite movie is, my comedy, favorite comedy movie is Dirty Work. It's raunchy, it's trashy, it's got a bunch of great actors in it and little cameos. And, um, geez, used cars is character actor heaven. Watching this, I saw so many character actors pop up, I was just overjoyed the entire time. It stars Kurt Russell, Garrett Graham, um, Frank McRae, and of course, uh, Jack Warden, also in Dirty Work. So this is produced by Steven Spielberg and John Milius. So I was like, oh, that's that's great, because John Milius always used Frank McRae. That's probably why he pops up in here. But uh, this movie is nuts, and I, I loved every second of it. I'm a big Kurt Russell fan. I think he's the coolest actor ever. I can't think of the actress in this as well but she's in a few things and also very good jack warden is just is great too um like i said the main cast is excellent it's about these two competing uh cars uh car sales lots or whatever used car salesmen um jack warden uh plays two roles he, he runs both of them one he's kind of their brothers he plays this asshole roy and he's just a trashy kind of from the bigger area kind of deal better car lot across the way and the other one i can't think of uh, uh luke luke is um the mustache to Jack Warden and he's kind of has a bad heart and he's on his way out and disconnected from his daughter and all that kind of stuff and Kurt Russell and him are buddies and Garrett Graham's another car salesman there and Frank McKay's their mechanic um so you know uh one day uh Roy pulls some fast one because he wants his lot he wants the lot because there's going to be this um basically this turnpike or whatever that's going to cut his lot in half and he's his car lot's going to be useless um so he basically wants his brother's lot um because the e-way is going to be right there and it's going to be a hot spot make a lot of money so essentially what happens is he sends over one of his goons Michael Talbot from Carrie you know uh Johnny Travolta's buddy in that to scare Luke to a heart attack it happens. The guys realize they're going to lose it to his to Roy, so they kind of cover up his desk so they don't have to give it the car lot to Roy. Uh, so yeah, a bunch of the, and they start to do these crazy wild promotions directly competing with Roy and they have this big kind of feud and everything like that, which involves sometimes cutting into live television, which is this hilarious, wonderful scene that is so raunchy and trashy. I was in tears almost. Um, and, uh, they are basically blowing up each other's cars, just doing awful stuff. But the character actors that pop up in here, uh, the first guy I recognized right off the bat was, um, uh, the guy from the wild bunch. I can't think of his name. He's in a bunch of stuff, but, uh, the we guy who's like oh gringo you know the, he's one of the main goons that um mapache's goons he's just a really like weasley guy he's in a hundred movies he's in this he sells him a bunch of bad cars all the time um the guy from miracle mile and bride reanimator plays a father who has like a like 10 kids and and his whole scenes are great um woodrow a uh, parfrays in this from um al, al josie wales and charlie varick oh geez who al lewis is in here everybody's in this freaking movie um, Michael McKean. So the cast goes on and on and on. I, I thought it was super funny, super like clever. Um, oh, stop. Joe Flattery's in here. So it's just a wonderful cast. It's absolutely hilarious. There's a gag a minute. Frank McRae had me in tears. Uh, this, this, this stunt they pull when they cut into the live commercial during Jimmy Carter's uh, president announcement. 
and the way they do it and everything like that. And Garrett Graham just he um they decide to blow up a bunch of cars over at, at at Roy's to piss him off. And that whole scene, the way that's put together, is just wonderful. But anyways, uh, I was just super happy with it. Um, I thought it was absolutely hilarious. Um, Kurt Russell's great in it as a sleazy car salesman with kind of a heart of gold or whatever. He obviously gets romantically involved with Luke's daughter. But um, top notch, great stuff. Um, first chance I get, I'm gonna buy the um, Blu-ray. I, I, I never laugh so hard. Um, oh, geez. Dub Taylor also has a little cameo in here, too. So another Peck and Paul regular. Um, just filled with great people and everything. So love it. Love the hell out of it. Um, great pick. At last, a controversial new motion picture that dares to deal with a serious contemporary problem which every man, woman, and child must come to grips with at least once in their lifetime. You make them like this anymore. Why don't you go ahead and sit inside? Go ahead. This new upholstery, only 27,000 miles, and we just gave the engine a complete overhaul yesterday. Go ahead, kick her over. Isn't that the quietest engine you've ever heard in your life? Used cars. Rolling off the blocks this summer into a theater near you. Hey, Stan, trust me, huh? Happy <laughs> motoring, Stan. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. Hey, come on, trust me. Okay, another Patreon pick is by Travis Lithcomb. Um, I think that's how you say his name. And he picked John Roland's Fascination. And uh, I had seen a handful of his movies, um, Living Dead Girl, and there's a, there's another one, I think Lips of Blood. So uh, putting this one in, this one had always had a good reputation for his movies. So I put it in, and I, I was immediately uh, taken in by it. It opens up with these two kind of seem like rich, sophisticated women drinking like bull's blood or something like that in this like butcher shop right off that thing. They say it's, it's supposed to be good for you, the whole thing. And then we kind of cut to this criminal... Um, and he's talking to these other criminals and we're going to split up the gold right now and then we'll meet up later and they don't trust him. They want all the gold now. He ends up taking one of them, kidnap uh, kidnapping one of them, a woman, and running into the woods. Um, she tries to seduce him. Um, he doesn't go for it. The other bad guys show up, start shooting at him. He runs into this castle, this beautiful castle with like a moat and a little bridge and all this fog. He runs in and of course he runs into the two women who were drinking the blood. And right away they start to play mind games with him. Um, he, he's kind of trapped in there because the criminals are waiting for him outside he's gonna leave at night but um they start to play mind games with each other where they start talking basically we have more guests coming and we're just servants but you know right off the bat they're not really there they're telling the truth so um pretty much one of the women seduces him seduces one of the criminals outside has sex with her friend she sleeps with almost everybody she comes in contact with in the movie and you're wondering um the way they keep hinting at it that death's coming to dinner death's coming tonight and uh you're like are they vampires what's going on so eventually um some more women show up and uh they kind of lead him on in a lot of ways and you just know um he he kind of plays into it a little bit joking here and there but you know he's doomed like right right away when he walks in there it's like oh your fate was sealed man right off the bat so um there's this really iconic stuff with um the the blonde woman walking around with a scythe and um yeah i guess uh, you know death kind of again but although she was talking about one of the people that shows up later but i don't want to give away the twist you can kind of guess where it's going to go but there's some really cool moments in the film 
I really like this one. I thought it was really well made, um, entertaining, uh, sleazy. And there's a couple scenes on here that it's very art sleaze, if that makes any sense. Very European sentimentality. Um, there's a lot of, uh, there's a couple scenes that were cut that are like elongated hardcore scenes. So more, more long, like eight minute sex scenes that are at, were shot for the movie involving the characters. And they don't look bad. They don't look like really obvious inserts, like where, you know, a lot of the, like the, you know, or thriller or cruel picture would look like where it's like, these aren't even the same people. And this stuff is just like grody in comparison. They, they're shot the same way and everything. It's actually shot by Roland. So, um, I really like this one. I think it was one of his best movies. It's very easy to watch. The dialogue is good. The acting is good. Just, just good stuff. Really like it. Um, fascination would highly recommend it, especially for like these kind of movies you know i do usually dig this kind of stuff but this is one of the better ones i've seen of his Okay, the next one is another Patreon pick by Nick Mua, and he picked Dead Girl, which I have not watched in a very long time. And he called it a dark comedy, and I was like, you know, I don't remember being that funny. Um, he said gallows humor, and I, I can see that. It definitely has some dark humor. This one was one I was really worried about not holding up. Um, like, when I revisited stuff like May and, um, geez, what was the other one like that I would compare to, like, um, The Lost? I feel like this one has a lot of similarities to, like, a Lucky McKee kind of story, if that makes any sense. Um, or Lucky McKee, Jack Ketchum style kind of thing going on 
but um, I, I was a little leery that it wasn't going to hold up. And I will say off the bat, it wasn't as good as I remembered, but I still did like the movie. I don't love it. Like I, I thought it was really good. It, it has a very high school mentality and being so far away from high school, it's just so hard to believe. You know, I know people are dark and disturbing, but it's so hard to, to buy that initial thing that happens. Not that there's a zombie, that what they do, that it's kind of hard. But this is definitely a movie about a pair of kind of, um, I guess you'd say losers. They're just like kind of, um, you know, outcast in high school. One's played by Noah Segan and one's uh, Shiloh, um, geez, I can't remember his name. He is in the Evil Dead remake, but Noah Segan's in a bunch of stuff, you know. He uh, was most recently in uh, the, I can't believe I can't remember his name. What was that big movie that had uh, Daniel Craig in it that was really good and fun? Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. Anyways, um, uh, Tony Collette was in it too. Uh, I having a, a brain fart, even though I reviewed it. But anyways, uh, Noah Sagan and, uh, they're in high school. The main guy's a fast and very immature, even for high school. He's infatuated with this girl that he used to be friends with and like, um, pre in elementary school. So like they're kind of outcast. And one day they kind of go to this abandoned mental asylum and they're screwing around and they go down into like the, the basement and everything like that. And they find this girl who they think is dead. She's in plastic, but it turns out she's not dead. And Noah Sagan says, basically, why don't we just keep her? She's not going to say anything. She's not going to do anything. And as they start, he starts to screw around with her later and he, they find out she's dead. And, um, so, you know, instead of, you know, reporting it to the police or doing anything like that, he wants to keep her around so he can screw her. And not only does he do that, he starts to bring in other friends to screw her. So they're basically boning this dead body who's vicious and doesn't speak. She's beautiful, but gross and dead and vicious. So you're like, no. Like, I can't buy it. And it also goes, makes a statement about humanity and like, you know what I mean? Like, what would they do if they could get away with it? And at the same time, the only thing I have trouble buying is I could see somebody coming down here and doing this alone where no one would know about it, where they would be ashamed about it and never say anything about it. But uh, the idea that it's a group participation, and I know that peer pressure and things like that, and maybe sometimes these things do happen, but the idea that they are just boning this dead body that has to be absolutely rotten and disgusting and smell horrible is just kind of weird to me. Like, I, I, I have a hard time buying it that they're boning a dead body. Because the smell of, even if you have a bad garbage, like, you're like, you're going to throw up. They're just all around boning this dead body numerous times, jumping in each other's spunk and uh, whatever. Uh, but things get more complicated and some more far-fetched things end up happening with a couple football player douchebags. And... Um, but my thing is, the main character here is just so ridiculous. Like, he's just so, such a baby such a baby and such kind of a wussy uh, Michael Bowen's in here and his his stuff is really funny he some of the that's where his humor comes from he's a like a drunk that dates um, um his the main guy's mom and then again they're making a statement that nobody's ever around so that's probably why him and Noah Segan nobody cares about him nobody has any you know any you know parental guidance or anything like that so it also kind of reminds me of that movie Boys Next Door by Penelope Spheris not as good as that or as but those two are just kind of like outcasts nobody likes them. Nobody cares about them. They're never going to ever. I, I feel like that's probably a major kind of inspiration for this movie. Nobody's ever going to pay attention to them or, or they're never going to be anything, you know, and, uh, and Noah Sagan at some time starts to develop, um, his character more and he starts to, to bring these things up when, when a couple of the other people come down there, he says, you know, if, if you get in trouble doing this, you're going away. No football scholarship. Me, 
it's not going to change much. Guys like me and uh, are always in prison. And that, that whole speech is really good. And I think he shines in the movie. And there's another really good scene where him and his dummy friend Wheeler, who's kind of funny and gross, really gross, are, are attempting to kidnap somebody. And um, that, that, that play is played for laughs, and it works pretty well. But uh, he, he's really good in it. Noah Segan, like I said, really enjoyed his performance. But again, the writing is it's a, it's a, it's it's a big pill to swallow to get there a couple times. And like, I understand their statement and I, and I do understand that it could happen. It's just, um, the way it happens is a little bit, um, unreasonable to me, but I do think it's an interesting movie and a statement on how dark human psychology is. And maybe I'm just so far removed from horny high school teenager antics that I could never in a million years see me picturing screwing a zombie in a basement with a bunch of other people. <laughs> um, not that I would do it without, with, uh, by myself, but just all these things on top of each other is like, that's a hard pill to swallow. And also the bite is contagious, of course, but, um, ramming, um, your, um, stuff into a dead body numerous times, um, with no lubrication because they mentioned at one point she's dry as a bone and they're just going in and out all, all of them all the time. You think, Hmm. You think that there'd be some abrasions back and forth. So is it only the saliva? I don't know. I'm not going to get into the science about boning a zombie if you're going to turn into it or not. But uh, yeah, the movie, I, I feel like it has some interesting points, but I also feel like a lot of it is just kind of uh, a little too far-fetched for how serious, although darkly comedic, it's played. If you close your eyes, can you make out sky? What are you staring at? You. Rick, you gotta get over that, man. You lost Joanne to puberty, you ain't getting her back. Look, man, what are we gonna do? Let's go to the nut house. What do you say? Are there any security guards there or something? There's no security guards, man. Place is dead.
Okay, let's start this run through 91, and this one is obviously from 1991, and I uh, this is from the Netherlands, I believe, and this is called Intensive Care, starring the ever-always-great George Kennedy. I love him. Uh, God bless George Kennedy for being in movies like this, because he's the only reason I watch half of them. Uh, so anyways, he plays this surgeon who is basically doing these experiments, and I can't remember exactly what he's doing. He wants to give electroshock therapy to people in a coma to bring them back. He says it works. No one believes him. He's kind of lost his humanity as a doctor. Maybe his oath is kind of, you know, gone. But anyways, he, he really thinks that it will. Um, the other doctor shuts him down. He is irate. He is mad he is pissed off um there's this really kind of crazy scene where at one point he gets mad at another heart surgeon who's questioning him and he just like kind of shoves the heart inside his body and screws with it and everybody's like what and uh, anyways on the way home he gets in an accident he ends up in a coma himself the irony the irony george kennedy so um <laughs> anyways is that irony i don't know I'm not a scholar. But anyways, George Kennedy is kind of in his coma. We, we follow this kind of young guy who works there, who's kind of a playboy, who's obsessed with his neighbor, who's like this girl who's dating other men, yada, yada, yada. So anyways, George Kennedy snaps out of the coma and he's enraged. But it's no longer played by George Kennedy. Doesn't even look like George Kennedy. It's a guy with like half his face burnt off and he's way skinnier and he just screams and growls like a lion the whole movie and goes around killing people. Turns a girl's head around, cuts some throats, yada yada yada. Um, he's fairly entertaining as a killer. I wish it was actually played by George Kennedy. Kind of saddening that it's not. But uh, the main character, he's kind of a aggressive pervert um at one point i would say that he damn near rapes the girl that he likes but she doesn't have much of a problem with it so we're cool right <laughs> man these movies back in the day but anyways uh you know it just is what it is product of its time um so anyways he hacks and slashes some rich people and eventually they face off him in the woods and uh over the top ridiculous way to put him away but um i had fun with it i thought it was decent right down the middle would watch again would buy a blu-ray if released but i wouldn't give this like a hearty recommend um slasher enthusiast only or george kennedy uh aficionados if you will so yeah that's intensive care A doctor on the threshold of discovery. We're on the brink of a revolutionary advancement in medical science. An experiment on the edge of the unknown. The hospital board has decided to stop your experiments. They consider them too dangerous. Don't they know this is unprecedented research? A moment that will shatter the dream. Now, seven years later, the experiment is still in progress. Is it possible the experiment was used on Professor Bruckner himself? But the doctor is out of control. Well-known surgeon and scientist Professor Bruckner, who was severely burned in a car accident and who lapsed into a coma seven years ago, disappeared from the hospital tonight at about nine o'clock. Here, in a peaceful community. You mean? Nothing will ever be peaceful again. <coughs> Behind the mystery is the fear. Do many years of coma impair the brain? Behind the secret is the danger. It looks like it's been cut with a knife. Behind the terror... Pete, are you in there? ...is the madness. 
intensive care. Starring Academy Award winner George Kennedy of Naked Gun and Naked Gun Two and a Half. Intensive care. Okay, this next one from 91 is uh, Scissors. And this stars Sharon Stone, Ronnie Cox, and Steve Railsback. Um, again, I feel that Steve Railsback is the one of the weirdest actors of all time. Here he plays twins. Two different roles, very weird roles, strange. Um, Sharon Stone is this really um, kind of tortured and unique uh, woman that lives in this kind of high-rise, expensive apartment. She works on dolls. Um, she also visits her psychiatrist, it seems, daily in Ronnie Cox. Um, and she has some mental problems. She's very sexually repressed. She's a virgin. She just has lots of things going on that are, are wrong with her. One day, um, she is um, almost raped in an elevator by this red-bearded man who... Um, she basically escapes and she stabs a pair of scissors in his arm. He takes his scissors, he leaves, and uh, after that she's really freaked out about it. Steve Railsback kind of comforts her, finds her in the elevator, takes her back to his apartment. Um, him and his brother, who's wheelchair-bound, played by Railsback as well, kind of start to talk to her. The wheelchair Railsback is an artist, and he shows her paintings at point, one time painting her. So, like, right off the bat, you're like, man, Railsback is not on the level. And you, you don't really know. There's a lot of red herrings here and there but um it's really well shot it's really well acted jared stone gives a really good performance um some of the stuff that the color the lighting i remember being really good um especially in this one scene where she's kind of lured into a job interview and it's a big setup and she's trapped in this area and all the um kind of miniature uh, city and everything's um and it has like this big diorama and it's talking it's all set up and the lights are changing and all sorts of crazy things and it's just like a super hyper like sex psychosexual movie um thriller um some people say that had giallo kind of things and i can see that um it's a well-made movie it, it does wear it out it's welcome a little bit it's an hour and 46 minutes and i caught myself being like this is getting really talky this is getting repetitive of people looking for him it's a little bit too much real time if that makes any sense but i don't hate the movie i think it's well made i think it's okay i don't think that the double rails back is anything worth having except just for a red herring or maybe rails back to be really weird like he always is um again i thought sharon stone was really good always welcome ronnie cox i think this one's worth checking out it's scissors vidmark international presents the new film from the producer of the right stuff raging bull rocky one and two and the music box your fears are perfectly normal angie angie anderson is working with dr stephen carter to uncover something buried in her past something happened to you in your childhood Yes, hello. If you're really certain a man-made threatening advances, you should have called a policeman. No, 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 no. Your own panic is attracting these encounters. <laughs> Can you describe the assailant? You seen Angie? No, why? Well, considering you spent half your time playing peeping Tom, thought maybe you might be able to give him a report on her. How'd you do that? Part imagination, part espionage. And the fact that you're very, very careless with your blinds. I'm going. Angela, I know more about you than your therapist. As Angie's life drifts further from her control. Who frightened you the most, Angie? She is in danger of crossing to the far side of madness. This time it won't be so easy on you. And someone is giving her a little help. You killed him. No, I did. You killed him. You killed him. You killed him. I didn't kill you. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. From the creator of Audrey Rose and the entity, Sharon Stone. I'd like you to touch me. Stephen Railsback. All you 
care about your next door neighbor. Ronnie Cox. You know the difference between sex and sexual violation. Michelle Phillips. Scissors, the cutting edge of terror. She knows the truth. Does she? We're here for blind spot. Is that a thing that we do? I never. I don't know. It's, it's not as good as like hammer time. I don't get to punch anything. All right, we're doing um, tarantula. We're here for tarantula. This is Jeremy's pick. <laughs> our our picks are all completely messed up in which order they go in now on the letterbox uh, thing. But next week we're supposed to do Exorcist three, which is my pick, and that's what we're doing. But this week we do tarantula. 1955. Mm-hmm. Is it? It says 55 in here, but I feel like it's later. Mine said 55, but 55 is it, seems is it, is it before them? Godzilla's 54, right? Is them? Did them come out after Tarantula? You should swore. see the original Big Bug movie then. Never even heard of it. It's not listed in the song. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. I know this is cheating, but regardless, um, Tarantula was directed by Jack Arnold, who did Creature from the Black Lagoon, mm-hmm. and uh, a couple others, Incredible Shrinking Man, I believe he did, um, which is an excellent movie. Um 1954 for Giant Bug for them. So, uh, oh. yeah, Tarantula did rip it off. I was right. And um, They were probably by a couple of months. Stop difference. it. I doubt it. That's exactly what they did. They're like, this Dem movie's really catching on, even though Dem's a ripoff of Godzilla. But <laughs> whatever. <Yeah. laughs> um, America. So, well, is this even American? Yeah, this yeah, is American. American. But it's them. Yeah, 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 yeah. A lot of those feel like they're like, everybody talks like they're like stuffy British people. So, bad in these right. movies. So, anyways, uh, yeah. Um, tarantula. Not as good as Creature from the Black Loon, Lagoon or um, The Incredible Shrinking Man. Right. And that's all I have to say about Tarantula. Okay, all right. <laughs> so This is another one that Jeremy picked because of the music. Yeah, because it was listed in a song. Um, where do we start with this movie? The plot. Let's start with the plot. Let's start with the plot. We have this uh, professor. Um, actually, it's this guy who's like wandering in the desert. He seems mutated. He seems like definitely like a 50s kind of wolfman thing mm-hmm. and uh he has some weird disease he dies in a desert they find him they realize he has a disease what is it um like some ropey no it's like ag something it yeah. basically makes your glands eggs uh, get bigger and your your organs grow big and your your body parts get too big uh I, I don't know it's like a giantism form of giantism but it takes years and years and years for it to happen right so supposedly they figure this is another professor but um the last he was seen he looked normal so like this doesn't make any sense the town doctor is uh really suspicious about it the sheriff is very lazy and kind of what's that um that uh lackadaisical or whatever the hell it is that's exactly what he is mm. Um, so essentially they kind of, they did this like a professor who worked with this other professor and we find out that both of his kind of, um, partners that are working on this experiment to try to create the perfect life form or something like that, elongate life and health and, uh, human beings had basically taken this serum before they're supposed to, and they turned to uh, crazy monsters, but also he's been feeding the animals the serum and got <coughs> bigger. So we have giant rabbits and giant guinea pigs and giant and one giant. Tarantula. tarantula yes so of course the tarantula gets out and it keeps getting bigger and so 
what so essentially because the serum isn't intended to make you grow big the serum is actually supposed to be a form of like nourishment like like we can create this in a lab and it will make you healthier throughout your life it'll make you healthier and we can feed it to you because you know as he says by the year 2000 the population of earth will exceed three billion <laughs> news flash buddy uh, <laughs> 50 science is always correct right right yeah uh, <laughs> so we're, we're way off model um we should maybe have only had that many people, but we, you know. Well, you know, I don't even know what's going on. Anyways, so what this serum does is does have the side effect of like, like speeding up not only life but also growth. And so there's like rabbits in there that are three days but old. It doesn't speed up growth. Um, it just exaggerates growth. Because if it sped up growth, everybody would just hit maturity in like a week instead of, you know, turning giant. Well, well, <laughs> yeah. but that's the thing. It does like because it's it's a bunny, it's a baby bunny earlier in the day, and then when yeah. he gives him the serum, it's a fully yeah, it's mature rabbit. Up. Yeah, but his growth is ridiculous. Right. It gets bigger than it should be. But it's not it's not a giant bunny. It's a fully grown rabbit that's also twice as big. Yeah, yeah. So they get bigger. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so and this, that, I I kind of like the small town feel. It's in the yeah. southwest. And the sheriff is like the most, I, he's miscast. I'm sorry. Everybody that walks into this movie would have been a better sheriff. The mm-hmm. sheriff's like this short chubby guy who wears the little like, what is that? An ascot? ascot or something. I don't know. I, you know how like, you know, like the Union Army would wear those or something like that. You know, like the yellow ones with the blue suit. Union Army used to wear those. Like, I don't know what he's trying to do. I think feel in Texas and some south places they wear like, they're not lapels. What are those things? A Texan tie? Yeah, like those like uh, things that hang down. Those yeah. look okay. This thing looks so stupid, and he he's such an Hold ineffectual on. guy. Like he doesn't do anything. He's always like, "Yeah, we'll sit on it right tomorrow." I, I got to I got to defend what the sheriff is wearing because they're in Arizona. It's like a kerchief. Like it's, so, if there's a dust storm, you know, he wants to cover Whatever. his face. Whatever. He looks ridiculous. Wear your mask. Yeah. Um, well, okay. <laughs> The so, sheriff sheriff would be wearing a mask. He'd be wearing it all the time too right. for no reason. Um. So <laughs> essentially, like, <laughs> so the the one the town doctor he's not certain that the professor's assistants had what he thinks that the that he had. So um he wants to kind of like investigate what it is that the professor is working on. Um. We went way off topic. Anyways, a, a new professor assistant, some young beautiful girl, comes into town to work hey, on her. She can't be a thesis. scientist because she's a woman. <laughs> I, I think that's actually a line in the movie. 55. <laughs> um, so she becomes his assistant. They, uh, the town doctor and the new assistant, kind of like get like a budding romance going yeah, of course, on. Of course, of um, course. But meanwhile, while all this is going on, the tarantula got loose and it's growing. And it's walking around the countryside eating people's cattle and yada, 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 and getting giant and bigger and bigger and bigger. Right. And nobody sees it. No planes fly over and say, hey, I just spotted a, a you know, a 300 foot tarantula. Nobody says anything like that. But it's uh, it's there. It's <laughs> I don't there. know where it's going at night and sleeping. Is it just like laying there and sleeping? It's going over the hills. But, but it's really funny because the. Um Jack Arnold, like I said, I believe he did Incredible Shrinking Man, and they use a lot of that like force perspective and stuff. Right. And they do a real good job in that movie, and like I, I want to bring this up before I forget it, but Christian Black and Goon, we also have the female scientist. Yeah. So I feel like maybe like Jack Arnold was like pushing that ahead, like well, you know, women could do anything, oh, just yeah. like men. So, um, but they do have to comment on it in the movie. But um, this this tarantula kind of wanders around, and and the way they do it, you'll see it like come around the horizon, and guys are like oh, like in the <laughs> the one guy who just screams like a little girl before he. <laughs> and he tries to shoot it. 
And yeah. I remind you, this thing's Godzilla size. He tries to shoot the tarantula instead of just running inside. He mm-hmm. like runs out and shoots it, and then screams like a girl instead of running inside. It's very, very um, yeah, it's hokey fifties. I mean, it is hokey fifties. I mean, the tarantula like oogles like an undressing female in in the window. Does um, it? I don't think she's undressing, <laughs> but like she is like getting ready for bed, and the tarantula like she walks past the window, the tarantula's eyes are like, there. And then it shakes with dollhouse or the, <laughs> the, the actual house, you know, and gets. I think that's how the actual professor bites it. Yeah, the Spoiler. professor, he got injected with the stuff too, so he's like turning into a Dick Tracy character. Yeah. Even though he already looks like Pruneface, like mm-hmm. he already looks like Pruneface for the whole movie, so like he starts like melting into the Toxic Avenger throughout the whole thing. Great. Um, it's fun. It's enjoyable. The premise is cool. Um, it, you know, it's the H.G. Wells story, Food of the Gods kind of thing going on where, you mm-hmm. know, the creatures get bigger and bigger. Uh, I, I'm fine with it. I don't adore the movie or anything like that. Um... It's got its. It's definitely has its charm. It, it is a very slow paced movie. Like in the beginning, I think there's a lot of action, but like I'd say the first thirty minutes, nothing really happens, and it's only what an hour twenty. It's short. It's it's pretty short. Um, I. Oh, your your question of the week is I wanted to mention this. You mentioned what movie would make a good remake. Yeah, that was as you know, like would make a good remake. Like, don't remake a great movie. Remake like a movie that had a lot of potential that failed. Right, and I think or that, not even failed. But. I think that this would be a good candidate. Um, one we we don't get these movies very often. We have kaiju. And, we did in the fifties. They were nonstop, but now right. we kind of lost it. And I like them. I I do like them. I think they're really fun. Um, I think if I were to remake this, um, I would cans. Or, uh, cast everybody as Jack Palance. He would play all parts. He's dead. Yeah, but you know how they did... Um, <laughs> Peter Cushing? Yeah, how they did Peter Cushing. We're not going to do that, because we're not going to have this budget. We're going to dig up Jack Palance, stuff him full of live rats, and just have him... <laughs> just like we tried to do with Nicholas. <laughs> right. No, Jack Palance, like, <laughs> that tarantula... He's just breathing. He would also play the tarantula and, and the uh, scientist. Um, Can we put boxing gloves on him when he plays the tarantula? Yes. And just, <laughs> um... Like, but no, because um, there is a scene where, um, as the doctor's like, the yeah, the actual town doctor, he's inspecting like, you know, like what, because they they find like insect venom. It's like, what is this? And it's like, oh, it might be from a tarantula, and there's pools of it. Right, and and he goes on to explain, and, and this really this scene doesn't need to be said, but like and the doctor's that doctor that like a specialist on tarantulas is mm-hmm. probably one of the finest actors in the movie. His oh, delivery absolutely. is very very straightforward yeah. and seems legit. He might actually be an actual scientist. <laughs> but he starts explaining this whole like wasp that preys on tarantulas and I thought, Whoa, wouldn't be cool if he I gave a wasp the serum. No, I told you that would be like the old lady who swallowed the fly. You make a worse problem. Wasps but are way no, worse no, than tarantulas. No, no, but like, yeah they are <laughs> tarantulas aren't even that bad. Like I know people are scared of them because they're big, but they're not like and dangerous. No, and, we're not dangerous. Aggr- some of them are aggressive. Some, but they're some besides species. like a house, they would be. Anything would be. Yeah, so we're going to inject, in my remake, we would inject the wasp with the venom, and then the wasp and the tarantula would fight it out, and then maybe some, like, come to like some mutual destruction, you know? Or, or, or whatever. Or better yet, then, like, since you want to get rid of the wasp, you, like, make a lizard really big, and then... Then you just, the no, lizard, listen you make, to my like, remake idea. That's that's what you're talking about. <laughs> you're going like... too far. We can only have two giant insects in this movie. Or three, because the wasp actually laid an egg inside of the tarantula. So we just have a giant larva falling on the ground after but that's it comes like, out. That's the sequel. Like, after Is everything's it called larva? done. Yeah, it's called Bug Boy. Why would it be called Bug Boy? Just call it larva. Anyways, um, your remake is terrible. It's actually probably an insult to science everywhere. 
Um, but do you remember when he was going through the animals that he lost? Because the trench gets out in a fryer. Because right. one of the guys that he injected himself for no apparent reason, like the, the professor's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go to town real quick," and then like the two, <laughs> he basically explains that the other two guys, his assistants, are like, "Well, now that he's gone, we can inject ourselves with this highly crazy <laughs> serum." Like they just inject themselves right. without even testing it on like a monkey or anything or or a cat or something. So they just like, okay, and they both go ballistic and turn into the monsters. Right. One ends up in the desert and one tries to kill him, like a fan of the opera style, and he's like. And he like knocks him out and then injects him with the serum himself. <laughs> like he's trying to spray. It makes no sense, really. Like no. their their actions or why they're doing it. Um, unless the guy's mad at the professor, or the professor was lying and actually injected them without them knowing. The 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 death of all three professors. Um, you wouldn't think their professors are very smart at all. Yeah, it's very contrived how how all that happened. But um, I mean, I don't know. I don't think that they needed the assistant character. The, the two assistants was really weird that he had two professors right. with him. Because you're like, oh, they're like, well, we find one of the deserts. Like, but how is he going to get infected? Well, the other one will inject him. What other one? There's two professors <laughs> that help with the professor. Well, well the, the two the two lead ones were like lead professors. And the other guy was like a graduate student or I don't know. They all like look studying. like um, family opera to me. Yeah. Um, but the funny thing was when he's talking about what he lost, he's like a giant rabbit, a giant guinea pig, and the beautiful tarantula right. <laughs> it's a beautiful these are just giant things um, um the tarantula looks good in this he's fun i like yeah. how they use it obviously it's a real tarantula and they make mm-hmm. it like a um what is that i don't know like um, like a big projection film and, stuff like that yeah yeah and then at one point there is a giant arm or thing that comes down yeah um so there are some like three-dimensional props if you will i would read from john staley's creature features tarantula mm-hmm. okay did i lose my spot nope we have Tarantula, 1955, three out of five stars. Director Jack Arnold tries to recapture the moods of it came from outer space and creature from the Black Lagoon. But this universal, international, giant creature thriller, written by R.M. Fresco and Martin Berkeley, comes off as a lesser effort. Leo G. Carroll, seeking a nutrient to feed the increasing world population, turns in, turns a spider into a monster which naturally escapes. John Agar and Mara Cordy or Corday, have a perfunctionary dull romance soon forgotten when Clifford Stein's effects take over. But the effects are only mildly exciting, and the film builds unspectacularly to a fiery climax as the ill-tempered arachnid attacks mankind. Clint Eastwood has a bit part as a jet pilot. Didn't notice Clint Eastwood at all. I forgot that John Agar was the star of this movie. I mostly remember John Agar from Miracle Mile and Nightbreed, where he's like... He's like, you're crazy to David Cronenberg. But he's in hundreds of these old movies. Like, Is he? Yeah, he's in a bunch of this these kind of movies. Yeah, John Agar, if he's in, um, in the other ones. Because I picked um, It Came From Outer Space. Yeah. yeah, he might be. I mean, he's in a lot of these movies like this. Okay, Tarantula, three out of four stars. Mm. In this Cracker Jack Big Bug movie, also called Bug Boy, Carol is experimenting with enlarging animals to increase the world's food supply and accidentally unleashes a gigantic spider on a small Arizona community. One of Arnold's quintessential 50 shockers, this has excellent acting, writing, and special effects by Clifford Stein. Best scene, the giant tarantula peeking in a window at Playboy Centerfold Corday as she prepares for bed. (laughs) I thought about the same thing. Um, He's all voyeuristic, like... Like, if it had, like, pupils, like, if Tarantula says, they'd be, like, shifting around. Oh, no, no, they just... <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Just that. It would also but... dog whistle. 
um, no, um, this is weird that Clint Eastwood was in this one too because you know Clint, um, one of his first appearances, if not his first appearance in a film, was Revenge of the Creature, and the original Creature was directed by Jack Arnold. Oh. I don't know if he directed Revenge of the Creature as well, but yeah, that's the first like real early movie ever. I, I noticed it was Clint Eastwood in that one. He uh, accidentally lets the creature out in Revenge of the Creature. Poor creature. Yeah, he's in a pool and they're experimenting on him. Whatever. Yeah. So next week is Exorcist three. Yep. I won't be here next You're week. You gotta watch it. Uh, I would give this three out of five stars or six out of ten or six and a half out of ten, somewhere around there. I would give this three out of five. Yeah, it, it's it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's completely enjoyable. It's it's just you know It's I mean, I don't think it's representative of fifties giant bug movies. Yeah, it is. That's, that's exactly what it is. But it's representative of fifties giant bug movies. Yeah. It's you know, it's, I think you can wa- probably watch any of the of this genre, and you'll be satisfied. Black Scorpion, them, Deadly Man. Right. I don't know if this one stands out or if it's below any of the other ones. I think that they're all just kind of same to me. You that should be watch The Incredible Shrinking Man. That one's great. Because that also has a giant spider in it. No, he's not giant. He's normal. The man's small. It also has a tiny man in it, and he yeah. gets him with a, a needle, right? Or is it, is he just a safety like pin? Ant? There's no ant. There's an ant? Uh, no, I think you're thinking of uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. All of them. That um, one has a giant scorpion. Yeah, but anyways, uh, I think um, he's not giant. He's normal. Uh, Incredible Shrinking Man is fantastic. That's one that came on TV when I was a little kid. And I was just infatuated with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, um, it's fun. Uh, when I was a kid and I saw Incredible Shrinking Man for the first time, I actually thought that that was the original Ant-Man movie because that's what my dad said, but he was a drunk. But... I'm going with it. Was that was the original Marvel's Ant Man? This is awesome. Yeah. You watch but your dad would have no clue who Ant Man no, is. No, absolutely. Did he read not. comics? Yeah, he did actually. He, he would know he, who Ant Man is. He would. So I don't know why he like, would say that. Man. Because he doesn't remember any of the comics. No, he doesn't. He's like, that's the that's the Defenders. That's <laughs> that. That's the Bug Boy. <laughs> All right. He came well, from a giant tarantula. We're done. Done. circumstances were to magnify one of them in size and strength, took it out of its primitive world and turned it loose in ours. Then expect something that's fiercer, more cruel and deadly than anything that ever walked the earth. Even science was stunned. The new atomic miracle should have been mankind's greatest boon. Instead, when such power to cause phenomenal growth proved dangerously unstable, man was confronted with his most shocking blunder the isotope triggered our nutrient into a nightmare. A blunder that transformed a tiny insect into the hundred-foot spider that was now ravaging the panic-stricken countryside.
Okay, let's get into these questions. Phantom Creeps. Third time's a charm. YouTube doesn't like me describing your role in Plank Face. Anywho, do you have any recommendations of other films you've been in? Plank Face was extremely well done. If you're looking for something along the lines of Plank Face, I would recommend The Bad Man. Same director. Um, I play like a, a gimp kind of guy in this gas mask. Um, or maybe Headless. He worked on Headless. He didn't direct it. But Headless is kind of a, se a semi-sequel to Found. Um, Headless, uh, I don't know. It, it's more graphic than um, Plank Face, I would say. Maybe, maybe. But um, yeah, also I would recommend Invalid, which is by Dustin Mills. I think that's a pretty solid movie. Um, so yeah, I, I guess I would go with those ones right off the top of my head. So yeah. Um, Nick Moore, if you wanted to make a found footage film, what would it be about and how would you shoot it? Um, if I were to make a found footage movie, what would it be about? Um, it definitely wouldn't be Ghost. It definitely would not be Ghost. I would probably try to make it a subject matter Let's do a little creature movie, a uh, found footage little creature movie. Uh, maybe make it finding scientist tapes, where you find the scientist's video log about making these little creatures, and then he kind of videotapes the little creatures going out about killing people, and then eventually they kill him, and that's the little thing. You don't know who edited it, but who gives a shit? You have these questions about all those found footage movies. Which film buff do you feel provides the best, most interesting commentaries? I can't quite decide between Cat Ellinger and the double act, Kim Newman and Alan Jones. I personally like Kat Ellinger, just I like her style, like that she brings up the same themes, likes that she brings up the director's other work that shares similar themes and everything like that. Also, Tim Lucas is always really good, and uh, those two come to mind right off the bat. Um, I always like Stephen Thrower and, Alan, and um, um, Kim Newman too, but all, I like almost all of them. There's not any that I think are really terrible. Um, there is some that I have heard maybe on some of those uh, Romero commentaries from Arrow that I was like... I, I'm like, I think I could have done a better job here. And I'm not good at that kind of stuff, really. So I don't want to be like, and, and you know, you're not going to pay me to do any of that shit. So you get this stuff for free. But you know what I'm saying? Like, if you're starting to listen to something, like I could do a better job. And I don't feel like I do that very often. So, um, yeah, um, I would go with Cat Ellinger and Stephen Thrower and uh, Tim Lucas. That's just three off the top of my head. Um, also, I like when Cat Ellinger's paired up with, um, geez, Sam Deegan. I think those two work well together, really well. So according to which movie was pretty much ruined by producer meddling, for me, that's, uh, according to you, which movie was pretty much ruined by producer meddling? For me, that's the 84-minute cut of Wicker Man and Ruby. How dare they treat Piper Laurie so? Ooh, that's a good question. Which one did they completely screw up? Um... I, I, I should have read this question first. I was in a little rush today, like I always am. Uh, what's a movie that I think that could have been way better if they just, you know, I feel like um, there's movies that have longer versions that I've always wanted to see. Uh, you know, Mimic. I heard the original Mimic version screwed up. I, I love the director's cut, so just with that little bit of change. Um, Nightbreed, Nightbreed off the bat, right there. I know they screwed it up, and people are like, but we got the director's cut now. But taking Clive Barker now and having him reconstruct a director's cut like 30 years later is not the same as having him remake the, do it at the time. It would have been different. The music would have flowed better. So I'm going to say Nightbreed. Even though I adore the theatrical cut, I think that if he would have had original creative control right off the bat, we would have got a masterpiece. So, uh, Ilk Vomit, 10 episodes in of Blindspot, and we still don't have an epic intro yet. Van Damme is screaming in agony with the concealed powder Chumley threw into his face. Listen, I want to do it, I just don't have the time or energy right now. Um, then we have Rick Romano, love the haircut, are you in a horror remake of Father Knows Best? No. 
Just kidding. But uh, answers. Last week I asked you, um, geez, uh, what is a movie that you think would be, you know, it's not a bad movie, but a movie that would be much better. A great, great idea, great source material. Just a better. It would be good to remake. Um, so one like I said, Neon Maniacs, uh, great concept. Just, I just that didn't have the money or something went wrong. So even though I like the movie, Nick Mu, I pray I'm not breaking some unspoken rule. This is already a remake or speaking blasphemy, but I've always believed that the 2008 Day of the Dead could have been as good, if not better, than a fellow Re- Romero remakes. They had also had good actors, Ian McNeese. Uh, McCord, Michael Welsh, and decent budget, I think. Yet it all went down the shitter. The film turned out epically painful. I'm still hoping that a decent and preferably stellar re-imaging is around the corner. If Twin Peaks can come back with a bang after 25 years, there's still hope for Day of the Dead. They actually made another remake of the Day of the Dead, and it was a, a piece of shit as well. I don't think that any movie you make nowadays is going to compare to the original Day of the Dead. That's my favorite movie, and I don't think that one had any fucking potential because Steve Miner... As good as some of the movies he made are, like House or the Friday 13th 2 and 3, I feel like he's much more of a journeyman director or a gun for hire than somebody like George Romero, who has that vision, who has all that. So there, to me, there's no way in hell that that movie, or Jeffrey Reddick writing it, could have ever fucking touched George Romero. In fact, to be honest, like, I know this sounds shitty. I don't care if you're hungry. I wouldn't... There's certain things like if I'm hungry, I'm not. I'm not writing. If so, they offer me, hey, well, let's remake Day of the Dead, and uh, they give me a script. They set these like I- I'm not doing it, and I just could never have the gall to do it or write it or something like that. So uh, I don't. Know. Hard for me to take somebody who says they're a fan of that shit that's going to remake something like that, and have, that's the end product. It's kind of hard for me to buy it. Um, I know you got to eat, but sometimes I, I would draw the line. I ain't that hungry. Ken Coakley. This isn't a movie that missed the mark. In fact, it's classic, and that that movie is Phantasm. I loved the original and gave it a 10 out of 10, but I remember a rumor went around a few years before Ravager was made that Phantasm was was going to get a reboot with Tony Todd playing the tall man. And uh, the kid from Rob Zombie's Halloween is Michael. You actually use his real name. I'm not going to bother saying it because it looks kind of weird to say. I usually don't like remakes, but I was intrigued by the thought of Tony Todd as a tall man. He is tall. I met him a couple of times at a convention. He was taller than me, and I'm six foot. He also can sound sinister when he lowers his voice. Another classic that could work, if done right, is Jaws. Once again, I love this film as well, but the movie and book are very different from each other. And with CGI technology, the shark could look real. This, There was a dark, dumb rumor that they were going to remake it with Tracy Morgan as Quint. That'd be so weird. Um, uh, Timothy Milliken, The Video Dead. Good call. I love The Video Dead, but I understand. Um, I would put it the same like League as Neon um, Maniacs. Uh, Wildcock23, oh my god, I was literally just going to say they should remake Neon Maniacs, and you said it. Jeremy R. Tarantula. Actually, I want to talk about that on the review. And we did. Skip Barber, Logan's Run was actually a good movie, but an updated version would be great. Stan Moreland, I hate to call it a bad movie because of their limited budget, but Don't Look in the Basement is a story I love that would make an awesome new film. Yeah, I would agree. I like that one, and I think it could be better. Jay Wall, great storyline, good pick. Decent for that air, but could be amazing. Turned up and ironed out. He's basically replying. Um, Dustin Mills, Miss uh, Pellegrini's Home for Peculiar Children. I'm not sure if it was an instance where they should have kept closer to the book. I haven't read it. But a movie about a bunch of freaky Victorian children with bizarre superpowers who fight eye-munching tentacle monsters should have been awesome. Instead, it was pretty boring. And then Dustin also says, for that matter, Percy Jackson should be rebooted as well. I have read those books, and they are full of clever twists on Greek myths and tense monster battles. The movie is significantly disappointing and not at all like the book. 
Um, and then uh, we have Melanie Brooke Odom replies to Dustin. I read the book, and first it's pretty mild, boring, is accurate assessment. And when I saw half the movie, it didn't mesh well with my recollection of the book. Events changed, characters were blander than they should have been, etc. That being said, the concept is a selling point in the first book, and by proxy, the film also missed a mark for me, which is why I didn't care enough to read the others. And Dustin replies, the only thing I knew about the book is that it's full of spooky photos, which I think drew people in. Sounds like the whole thing needs an overhaul, but with a proper level of spook and some decent writing, it could be pretty cool, I think. And, uh... Basically, she goes on to reply, uh, J. Wall, Prince of Darkness, 1987. Um, I like the movie myself, so don't get me wrong, I love it. It just seems like it could have been great. There's a good premise and a few nice ideas, but untimely and outside of just nostalgia love. I can't say it's under outstanding. Let's turn it over to Adam Wingard and Simon and see what they come up with. Make the style more restrained and overall story tighter. Aja could be fun too visually. Just don't let him write it. <laughs> You know, that movie, I love it, and it has these great, creepy aspects to it, but it's got lots of things going on, and I think for a lot of the audience that aren't familiar with, like, Quatermass or just that movie in general or stuff like that, they get lost. Although, you know, I like to explore it. I, I feel that it's not an easily approachable movie at all. For And I know what you're saying, too, that there's probably some nostalgia love with me, too, but I don't think it's easily approachable for people. It's a little hard to grasp for 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 what there's lots of stuff going on and really big ideas. Um, Kermit Merle Key it could definitely use an update. Like, what if the church had been transported to another dimension and the scientists were trapped inside because only the holy building was safe? But the longer it remained in that realm, the weaker the protection became and demonic entities were closing in on them. See, he, that's a good idea. Jay Wall, yeah, that could work if fleshed out fully and filmed right. Sounds event horizony. And then uh, they're going back and forth. And then. Uh, Okay, yep. Yeah, but um, Melanie Brooke Odom says, I'm partial to this movie, so in my opinion, it's not really bad, but the first place. But clearly, I'm biased, but Solar Babies. It's dated, it's been like 35 years as a neat concept, could really use a good update. Timothy Toha Cowan, Thelma and Louise, and Bad Santa, too. I thought that one leaves is pretty good for what it was. Tim Malkin, the video does one that always makes a wonderful what if with a bigger budget. It's one of my personal favorites. Um, Rob Kobinski, I guess the same sort of deal. I'm just thinking about two off the top of my head that I recently watched. I wouldn't consider them bad per se. Limited budget and whatnot, but with the right hands, the right mindset, an updated version would be pretty dang sweet. The Boogans and Blood Beach. Um, now that I think of it, either of those in the hands of Aja would be nice. And put Giannetto de Rossi to work. Um, that would be great. Honestly, I completely agree with those two. They're they're both kind of um, really way more mild than they should be. And um, the scene in Blood Beach where the rapist crawls at the lady and he um, gets his uh, Johnson bit off. More of that. More rapists getting eaten by monsters in the sand. More just over-the-topness. Show the monster. Show the monster eat a lot of people. I mean, Blood Beach should have been awesome. Um, great tagline, too. Just when you think it's safe to go in the water, you can't get there. Um, and and a blood, the Boogans, too. Like, the Boogans could have been awesome, and it's just okay. Kaiser Sosa, Brotherhood of Satan. It's okay for the time, and it's a great chilling surprise twist for an ending, but I'd love to see it remade in the hands of a director like Ben Wheatley or someone like him. Neil Lemoy, Mandy. I disagree because I think Mandy's plot is fairly basic. I think that the direction is what makes it excellent. But I know a lot of it's not for everybody. Not, not for everybody at all. Jamal Potter, far from being a bad movie, but Nightmare Maker has a great concept story that would work if tried again. Uh, J Joseph Perdue, Dreamscape. Rakesh Brown, Suit 313. Will Carnell, Jaws 3. Uh, Brandon Young, just because it popped up in my head all of a sudden, I bring up a very recent movie. Also, I don't think it was bad. It just suffered drastically from a low budget. Could have been fantastic with some more money. I Trapped the Devil, where a whole bunch of movies from late 90s, early 2000s suffered from way too much shaky cam and weird colors. See, I, I watched I Trapped the Devil, and I thought that for the budget, it was really well done. 
I think the script was poor. I think it was a 10 minute episode, a 30 minute episode of Twilight Zone put into an hour and a half. I think the script's what ruined that one for me personally. And maybe some of the lighting at the very end. But besides that, just one shot in the lighting. But I thought it was well made for what it was. I just think that that's a 30 minute story on the Twilight Zone we already saw. So I was just kind of drawn out. Matt Boland, Wishmaster. I love the Wishmaster, as you wish. Uh, Zach Killingsworth, Sucker Punch, but if it was good. Seb Godin, Lycan, Lycan Mater. Um, and Dustin agrees with them. I feel this most of my movies because Seb directed Lycan Mater. Uh, Lori S., Stephen King's Dreamcatcher. Um, somebody else say Dreamcatcher? They say Dreamscape. Okay, yeah. Jason Fetter's not a bad movie, but I would love to see a remake of the Shogun miniseries. Brandon Young, Jason Fetter's man. That's my favorite miniseries of all time. I would love to see what they could do with it now. Cody Lee Harden. Of course, we know what Cody's going to answer. Clown House. Um, Jack Pollan, Pollins. Uh, Southland Tales is a great and ballsy concept, but it's just dull mess. I think with a more experienced director updating it, there's definitely something there. Riley Arby, Sucker Punch Rules, So Hard in Theory as a riff on women in prison films, especially using disassociation as a device for genre change, but in my opinion, it was just executed in such a weird, ineffective way. Maybe a couple years from now, someone will let me remake it lol adrian hall have you seen the director's cut changes things and he's um he replies i think i saw an extended version definitely better than the theatrical jonathan wilhelm leprechaun in the hood i don't think you can improve on that concept uh jason od chud love the movie just need more chuds i think chud is a prime candidate for a remake great concept like the movie could be fantastic um nathan thompson camp slaughter zach puccinelli the return of the dead go fuck yourself zach uh timothy tohan colin notebook but make it horror base lee jones evil speak justin rice seeds of evil lee jones oh yeah the inverted mr sycamore and then scott heard liska downsizing matthew hudson the purge there's so many ways that movie could be redone but i want a specific movie some kind of legal drama weeks after purge night where the guy's defense is but i killed them during the purge as interesting a concept as those movies i have i'd like to see one examining the inevitable legal clusterfucks afterwards really think that'd be fascinating i realize i haven't commented on any of these in a while sorry about that i've been kind of uh blah lately i hope you're doing well chicken wings on me if things ever stop sucking i hope they do i hope they do because i want those chicken wings asap um then we have david gibson the purge really missed the mark and another ethan hawk film felt the same to me in sinister uh glenn d worthington jaws 4 and include the voodoo subplot from the novel god damn it um, David Gibson, Firestarter comes to mind. We can only imagine what Carpenter would have done with this film if he wasn't replaced because the thing failed at the box office. It would be interesting to see an art house director take a shot at it like Refn, Eggers, and or uh, um, Ari Aster. Travis Wright, Super Mario Brothers. And uh, yeah, I guess we're going to go to the question of the week. And I want to know um, your favorite lesser known spaghetti western. Don't give me Once Upon a Time in America. Uh, I mean, Once Upon a Time in the West. Don't give me Once Upon a Time in America either. Don't give me Once Upon a Time in the West, Good, Bad, and Ugly, um, even Django. Give me one of the lesser knowns. Is it something like, um, yeah, I guess maybe The Great Silence is semi-lesser known. Something, you know, lesser known. Because I, I, I like spaghetti westerns, but I've only seen, you know, like the ones that were more recently released in the classics. So, yeah, give me, give me a spaghetti western, lesser known, favorite. Or a couple, but I guess we're going to hop into that update. Okay, this update's pretty big, so let's hop into this. First, let's get the Criterions out of the way. Come and see, 1985 war film. Excellent movie. Can't wait to watch this remastered. Sure, it looks fantastic. Um, this is a great movie. I watched this actually for the dive into 85, although it's not a horror movie. It's a war movie, and uh, <laughs> it's pretty horrific. So, um, amazing movie. Then we have Naked Lunch by David Cronenberg. 
I've not watched this in years. I was a little, I like David Cardberg a lot, but this one was just a little too intelligent or crazy for me at the time when I saw it. I was very young, so I didn't, I didn't really grasp it. Um, and I don't know William Burroughs very well, his writing or anything like that. So uh, yeah, I was a little lost. Um, hopefully, it's a 91, so I'm going to rewatch it for the run through 91. Hopefully, I like it this time around or get it. Then we have Danny Boyle, Shallow Grave. Um, never seen this one. Uh, heard good things, obviously. It's Criterion, so you know it's going to be at least decent. So, yeah. Then we have Diabolique, which is an absolute classic. And I have never seen it. It is on my list for um, Blind Spot. So, yeah. Can't wait to watch this one. Then we have Cremator. Felt bad because I asked if they had, they showed on the website they had this one, so I went to get it, and they actually had to go get it in the back, and it just came in, shipped in the mail, so, uh, yeah, so they went back and got it for me, but I hear good things about this one, never seen it. This one is a shame that I've never seen, Blood Simple by the Coen Brothers. Yeah, that's disgusting, right? Um, finally grabbed this, uh, can't wait to watch it. I, I know it's going to be excellent, so, yeah. Then we have Time Bandits, uh, Terry Gilliam. Great movie, great movie. Love this. Had the image Blu-ray. Um, realized I'd rather have the Criterion Blu-ray, so why not? Time Bandits, lovely movie. Um, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. Somebody picked this for um, a Patreon pick, and I didn't even know this was a Criterion Blu-ray because this movie has always been like brought up when the Polizia Tetsis are brought up, and I was like, I didn't know that that got a Blu-ray from Criterion. I feel so stupid. I need to have it. So, yeah. Be watching that shortly. Then we have Brazil, another Terry Gilliam classic movie. This um, Time Bandits Adventures of Baron Munchausen are like a trilogy, but I love this movie. Brazil. I haven't not seen it in a long time, but look forward to revisiting it. Um, I got a lot of Criterion guys, so I went a little crazy. Devil's Backbone, Del Toro, wonderful, perfect movie. I didn't have the Blu-ray. Don't know what I was thinking, but glad to have it now. Then we have Twin Peaks, David Lynch. This is a really crazy, weird movie. Really like it. So, wanted to pick it up. And then the last criterion, Carnival of Souls, which is an absolute classic as well, which I've never seen the whole thing for. I know Romero was inspired by Carnival of Souls to make Night of the Living Dead, so it's a must for me to watch. And then we have uh, Import here. Didn't know this is out of print. And pretty much everywhere except, I guess, uh, Australia. Jason and the Argonauts. Classic movie. Great movie. Harry Harryhausen Effects. Never forget this one with the skeletons. And uh, now we have some other Blu-rays. Some cheapies. Lockout. Which I think Luke Besson got f sued over for, for um, uh, John Carpenter Escape from New York. So... Um, then we got Kingpin, the Farley Brothers. This movie's hilarious. Always loved it. You guys better get out of here. There's a big shit cloud coming. Um, or Big Ern McCracken um, for years. Um, every time somebody's asked me something I don't care, I say, I don't know. I don't care. Just like Big Ern. Uh, compliance. Here, this is good stuff. Pretty disturbing from my understanding. We have Enemy Gold by Andy Sedaris. That's right. Continuing the Andy Sedaris movies. Um, and, and what's uh, Enemy Gold without the Dallas connection? Some more Andy Sedaris nonsense. Uh, Come Out and Play. 
another cheapie here. I mean, I don't mean the movie's cheap. It just wasn't very expensive on Blu-ray, so I grabbed it. This is a remake of Who Can Kill a Child, which is a really good movie. And we have Small Town Crime. Here, this is really good. Um, got John Hawks, Robert Foster in it. Um, Olivia, Octavia Spencer. So, nice cast. Heard good things about it. Um, good price. Is that, who's that on the back there? Anthony Anderson. That's cool. Another one. I know. Another actor. Um, them. I was watching Tarantula, and I was like, how can I watch Tarantula and have this on Blu-ray without having them on Blu-ray, which is a classic Warner Brothers disc here. Giant Ants. And then we have some Warner Archives from the sale. The Man with Two Brains, Steve Martin. I don't think I've ever seen that one. Then we have the Cyclops. Nature going mad. Bird Eye Gordon movie. Look at Long Chaney Jr. on there. Looking nuts. Then we got The Illustrated Man with Rudd Steiger. Ray Bradbury's Masterpiece of the Supernatural. Like Rudd Steiger. He's a pretty intense actor. Then we got Showdown in Little Tokyo. Dolph Lundgren, Brandon Lee, Mark Lester flick. Mark Lester, to me, has always, I know somebody's just bitching about Firestar not being directed by Carpenter, and it was directed by Mark Lester, actually. Uh, Mark Lester, to me, is one of those guys who always was like a really solid, just kind of like guy that always came in and filled in, had tons of good movies. Class of 84, Class of 99, Commando, Big Showdown in Little Tokyo, Firestarter, Armed and Dangerous, just a slew of good stuff. Then we have Boris Karloff, Frankenstein, 1970. And that image right there is just an iconic image I've always seen. Never seen the movie, but, um, yeah. I, I like my Frankenstein story. I like Boris Karloff. Who doesn't? Then we have The Black Scorpion, which is one that I've always wanted to see. Um, but I never. I finally pulled the trigger on the Warner Archive. Man, that Scorpion looks awesome. And I hear good things about that one. Then we have some from uh, the Ronin flicks. Uh, 315. Adam Baldwin, Deborah Foreman. I always liked Deborah Foreman. Ever since I saw Waxwork as a kid, I always thought she was just super sweet and innocent and always a good actress, so, yeah. Then we have Prisoners of War, The Escape with David Carradine. I'm not sure if this is any good, but I bought it. I don't know why, but, oh, it's got Steve James in there. That is Steve James, you know? He's in so many of these movies, it's like a small role, but, yeah looks like something like a missing in action deal then we got uh john claude van damme and death lord can't kill me burke i'm the stand man patrick kilpatrick in this movie is gold is he there he is on the back this one's fun man is mike genovese in this one too he's like a prison guard i like this one it's been a while since i've seen it one of van damme's best finest hours right i love that one then we got uh a small town in texas this sounded right up my alley timothy bowden susan joyce bo hopkins um, yeah, I, I, Bo Hopkins is always crazy, isn't he? He always plays a crazy person. I, I think Bo Hopkins might just be a crazy person. Then we have, uh, the Cycle Savages. Got Bruce Dern. Can't go wrong with that. It's an awesome shot right there. I went all out this time, didn't I? Then we have the Night Visitor. Alan Garfield. Michael J. Pollard, Santa Tweed. Elliot Gould. Well, it's got a, Richard Roundtree. It's got a good cast. And I remember, I think I had this DVD. And I remember that cover art for sure. At least I remember the, the horns there. And then we have some DVDs. The Amityville Vibrator. That's right. I don't even know if I can show the back. Yeah, I can show that back. 
Might have a inside cover that I can't show. Ooh, bump that. I thought there might be an inside cover because I remember they said something about that. Then we have Minnesota Clay with Cameron Mitchell. Uh, Spaghetti Western. Always wanted to watch this one. Sergio Carbucci, so never seen it. Always wanted to see it. That's right. And last, The Sidewalks of Bangkok by John Rolon. Um, yeah, on DVD. Got this. It, it has a punch in it, but I ordered it dirt cheap, and it showed up super fast, and it was from a Goodwill. I was like, they had this at Goodwill. That just makes me happy. But uh, yeah, guys, uh, thank you very much for watching, and back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching, and as always, have a good one. Yeah.